the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. There's no doubt that Ozempic and Wagovi and similar drugs are at the forefront of today's popular approach to weight loss, with many also intended to treat type 2 diabetes. Common to their success and key is releasing the hormone known as GLP-1. But GLP-1 is only one of a whole complement of hormones involved. What about bringing all of the relevant hormones back into play and without an injection? Dr. Stefan Sebastian Bowles is the chief scientific officer of Afia Pharma in Zurich, Switzerland. Dr. Bowles, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I've never started a biotech interview in this particular way, and it's because of something you told me in our pre-interview. And what you told me was about eating refined food versus, we'll say, whole foods, and the role of or problem with our small intestines when we eat those foods. Now, now paint that picture for us. Well, happy to. So let's go back 130 years. 130 years ago, the Swiss surgeon Cedric Roux, who is actually, who stands for the R in RYGB surgery, which is the surgery that's applied to morbidly obese patients to reduce the size of their stomach. So Cedric Roux did this, this operation and taught us many things. Among those things was the fact that the small intestine can be separated into two parts. One upper part, that is equipped to absorb food and one lower part that is equipped to sense food. And that's actually an ingenious construction because whenever you eat food, some of the food makes its way down to the second part of the small intestine where its presence can be sensed. And that actually generates a signal that ramps up digestive processes. And that's exactly what you need when you have have food intake. You want to use the food. You would want to utilize it and you want to digest it first and then you want to take it up and distribute it in the body. And that's orchestrated by the lower part of the small intestine. And what's important is, what's implied here is that food gets down there. The problem we have with a highly refined food is that less and less food actually reaches the distal part of the small intestine. The reason for this is that it's not only the fact that the food is refined, it's also the quantity and the whole composition of food. Now we eat far too much fat and far too much proteins, which slows down the passage to the upper part of the small intestine. And that's a problem because what is now lacking is the stimulation of the lower part of the small intestine, which is essential to regulate the process. Now, when we get a portion of the food down to the lower part of the lower intestine and the the cells down there, the food sensing cells are down there. What happens from there in our body? This is actually very, very fascinating. It was noted that these cells were responsible for higher glu- insulin output to digest glucose. What we know now is much more, they do much, much more. They have They have direct nerval links to the brain they can regulate brain functions like hunger, satiety, energy expenditure, and, and at the end of the day, food intake. And that's a property that, that comes more and more into the focus of everything we do and try to, try to uh, affect with our, with our therapeutic approaches. The reason why these cells can do this is that they produce hormones, as I said before, and these hormones can stimulate nerve endings that directly project into the brain. And some of these cells are even 
form synapses with the nerves in the brain. So they actually directly connect to the brain. This is how you can actually look at this. And this is uh, this gives the brain a very clear picture. And you just said it, Maura, not only that food is there, but even what quality food is on there. So it's a very, it's a very fine-tuned mechanism. And so we have three different signaling model modalities. One is endocrine, which are the hormones. Then neuroendocrine, where the hormones stimulate nerve cells, and then a direct connection to the nerve cells, which is a neuronal pathway. And these three things together are incredibly powerful to regulate our behavior and our energy expenditure. So when we treat those cells, when we stimulate these cells, we actually directly tickle the brain. And that's something that kind of surfaced as an idea only a few years ago. Now, I feel hungry is in our brain. I feel full is in our brain, not in our stomachs. Well, there is, you feel full, and this is why pretty much every language has, has this term, I feel full, right? <laughs> and and uh, so, because you can feel it, and this is the distension of the stomach, and this gives the first signal to, hey, you better stop now. But but this, is an ad this can adapt, so some people can eat enormous amounts of food, as we know, but what what you feel later on so when you feel hungry when when hunger ceases that's an effect of those pathways we talked about before hunger goes away and that's important because then your whole behavior changes food cravings stops even craving for certain specific special foods like chocolate stops and this is this is a central effect. It's not that feeling full. It comes later. It's an effect that comes through the back door and regulates your behavior. That's your brain. That's not the stomach. Now, we've all heard so much about Ozempic, the weight loss drug, and something called GLP-1. Paint that picture for us. And how does that relate to what you've told us? Well, it actually it's very closely related because when when this when these mechanisms were discovered that these hormones can sensitize the pancreas to to produce more insulin, and GLP one was then after it was cloned, um, and and made available and accessible, was used and and designed to treat type two diabetes based on this idea that it exerts metabolic control mostly on glucose. And it was approved for, for type two, to treat type 2 diabetes in 2005. Only much later, and that was in 2021, it was approved to, for, to induce weight loss or to treat people with obesity in order to allow them to lose weight. This is what Vigovi and Ozampic do. The point here is the fact that, that, they, that, these, these, that GLP-1 induces weight loss was a serendipitous finding during the trials. It was never meant or designed to, to induce weight loss. It, it came second. It's a very, very well-defined effect. It's, a very, it's a, an effect that's very beneficial to the patients without any question. The point is GLP-1 is just one of many hormones that are being released from, from those cells. And these cells release many more many other hormones glp2 which uh, which has very prominent roles locally around those cells then uh, uh, oxyntomodulin glycentin pyy just to name a few it's a whole portfolio of hormones that interact very precisely to regulate all the different functions that are necessary when you eat something you can see there are many functions that that need to be that need to be orchestrated, need to be achieved by very different hormones, and GDP one is just one of those. That's that's the point. 
and it was a, it's it was a very good choice to to treat to, uh, to treat type two diabetes and also now uh, weight loss. But there's much more to come. It's, if you want to if you want to look at it as a treasure chest down there, it, it certainly is one because there are many many more many other hormones that we could exploit. Now this whole area that Afia is working in, what are you doing? Well, we act, we came together and we we looked at what's known we we looked at what's known and and we first we were first fascinated by how well the system is orchestrated and then we we thought this should be something that we could use potentially and the idea was a combination of what the two things we've talked about before so it was very well known that GLP1 is a very potent hormone has very has a lot of beneficial effects and that GLP-1 is normally produced by those cells. The fact that it is not produced anymore is due to the fact that these cells are deprived from contact to food. So food that normally gets down there and when you eat healthy and when you're, when you're healthy yourself does not appear anymore down there in patients with metabolic diseases, most importantly obesity. But also lots of other diseases. It also it's it's affected by our quality of food, as we discussed before. If you eat highly refined food in 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 in, in inadequate compositions, you have a lack of exposure of these cells to to food. So the very simple, the the frighteningly simple idea we had is to just re-expose these cells to food. So we developed beads, or a better word word might might be granules, and these granules behave like fluids. And because they behave like fluids, they are able to bypass the food that blocks the the upper part of the small intestine and this is why they will get down to the to the lower part of the small intestine no matter what happens or blocks the the upper part of the small intestine and that's exactly what we wanted to achieve and once we were sure that we got our beats down there completely independent of who, who took them how much that people had eaten before and so on we had to decide what to put into the beats because it's, it's not about the beats it's about getting them down there but they have to release something to stimulate the cells and what we found to be most effective to stimulate these cells as a food component is glucose. Just simple glucose, because the cells are equipped, very well equipped to sense glucose. And the signal they generate after having seen glucose, after having sensed glucose, is a massive signal that then leads to the release of all the hormones we, we talked about before. And these hormones then, as I said, all the hormones, not GL, just GLP-1. All the hormones. All the all the hormones, not not just GLP ones, the entire portfolio. And that's that's an important fact. And these hormones will then do what they need to do locally. They will they will get into the bloodstream, get distributed throughout the body. They will they will excite the nerve endings and so on. And this is all preformed. We use what's already there. The only thing that might be our claim to famous, we wake up a system that fell dormant because these cells hadn't seen food components in quite a while. So this is why we, why we, what we do here is really kind of waking the cells up and exploiting an, a complete mechanism that's already there, formed in millions of years and optimized in millions of years. Are these cells sort of dormant uh, in these conditions like obesity? What we think, and 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 what what the literature thinks is is uh, that these cells, yeah, you could call it dormant. So because of the lack of exposure to food, they even downregulate the the different proteins that are there to sense food. 
So they, they become less ready, less equipped to sense food. So there could be even such an effect as waking them up and then getting them back to full speed over time. We don't know this yet, but it's very well accepted that a common denominator of all these metabolic diseases is the lack of exposure to food, which has this impact on those cells. Yes, as you said, more dormant is a good is a good description. I mean, we've we've described it in other places to Sleeping Beauty. And in this case, we would be the prince. There you go. Very good. <laughs> now, let me also ask you, you keep saying glucose. How different is that from just sugar? It is actually just sugar. So they are different. That's not quite accurate from a, from a chemical, biochemical standpoint. But when we talk about sugar, we actually refer to glucose. That's, I think that's an accurate accurate definition. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. Yes. Now, AFIA, and for those people who want to know, that's A-P-H-A-I-A, AFIA. You're well into phase two in the U.S., in Germany, and in the nation of Georgia. Uh, and you're fully enrolled, uh, and that's great. But I want to start with phase one, that time when you were first putting this drug into humans, the granules into humans. Uh, what did you do in phase one and, and what did you learn? We, we did a few things and we learned a lot. So what, what phase one typically is, and it was the same in our case, is a phase of concept, is a proof of concept trial. So we had to prove our concept. And what we did is we chose, we chose 20 obese and otherwise healthy people uh, this trial was conducted in Romania, and those 20 patients took our formulation in the morning, and then we did a pharmacodynamic. And that's a monstrous word, but it, what it means is that we that we gave the formulation to the uh, to the people and to the volunteers, and we took blood every 30 minutes afterwards. And in all those samples that we drew from them over the over 10 hours, we measured the hormones. We measured GLP-1, we measured oxyntomodulin, GLP-2, PYY, and so on. And what we hope to find is that our treatment would increase the level levels of these hormones, because that is the prediction after everything we, we had discussed and we kind of fantasized about. And so what we saw was exactly that. Our treatment did release all those hormones. It released all those hormones in 20 patients pretty much more or less at the same time point. So all the patient with the hormone profiles reached the peak within one hour. It was highly reproducible, which actually means that the idea to bypass the food bolus and also design a treatment that's independent of motility or, or, or length of the, of the small intestine and whatever worked. And we, we learned that, that, this, that these hormones that we release were not just one, as I said before, but the entire portfolio. Now, you just don't say, here, take this packet of granules. <laughs> What's the size of the, of, the, of the packet or the amount of, of granules, and how do you ingest it? So when you, when you think about the dose, this very tiny beads kind of fill one teaspoon. And when you mix it with water, because we mix it with a powder that creates a jello, you have approximately one tablespoon of jello, which you then can ingest and wash down with water. And that is how you take it. So we try to make it easy 
to to take and we try to make it palatable and we also the gel can be can be flavored so the the current flavor is orange but you can you're free to choose any other flavor the idea behind this is to make it as easy as possible because the ingestion should not be harmful which is definitely isn't and it should be easy to take because we want the patients to take this on a daily basis You've gone through this now with a number of participants in phase one, many more in phase two. They've got to mix the the granules with water and come up with a tablespoon or two of, of jello and then get it down. Has this been a problem? Have you lost participants because of this formulation? No, we didn't lose any patients because of the mode of intake. So patients were we're happy with with the way they had to take the formulation and complied very well. Now, you say once a day, does it matter when you take this? Well, what we did as as a start and again this phase 2 trial that we that we designed is is a trial where we try to deliver the proof that our formulation which worked well in the phase 1 also works in a diseased population. So that was is our main goal. This is why we allowed the patients to take it or advise the patients to take the formulation two hours at minimum 30 minutes before their main meal, which means that the patient, he or she, had to decide whether it's going to be the break before breakfast, whether it's going to be before lunch or before dinner. And we did this on purpose because, again, we wanted to do this make it as easy as possible for the patients, and we wanted to do it under real-world conditions. That was our main goal. So we trusted our formulation quite a bit and did not try to put too many boundary conditions in. We, we, we let them go very free with whatever they felt was necessary to do. They just had to take it regularly. And that's that's what they did. This, that's what they complied for. In further approaches, we might think about varying this this regime a bit because we know, and this links back to what what, you, what we discussed before. There are circadian effects when it comes to to food intake. So it's not only important when what you eat, but also when you eat food. And this is when you think about time-restricted feeding, interval fasting, and all these kind of things. This is Those are those ideas. And they could easily be combined with what we have in our hands right now, because what we do, and that is what's clearly shown by our phase one data, we emulate the hormonal response of an entire meal with 8 to 12 grams of glucose that is not even being absorbed. And that's that's what we what we're going to build on now. Well, right now you have about 150 patients in in phase two studies across three countries. Um, how long will it be before we get some results from that phase two? Well, we we know pretty well when this when this will when we will get the first results because we have all patients enrolled and we know the treatment duration, so we can very well extrapolate and we're gonna get the first headline results in June next year, so in June twenty four. Pretty quick, pretty quick for that. That'll be very yeah. interesting. You said another thing in our pre-interview that I want to bring up. You said that seventy percent of pre-diabetics convert to diabetics within a year. And you're trying to intervene here as well with this same drug. Tell us what you're trying to do here. Yeah, so 
I think that's 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 the, the second phase two trial that that is ongoing and that we are fully enrolled. And the idea behind this is is again relatively simple. As you said, depending on the age and the the comorbidities, you the pre diabetics progress towards becoming diabetics pretty quickly within a year or at at latest within five years. So this is. This is a point where one should intervene, where one should to start to treat patients to prevent this from happening. And that's exactly the idea of prevention that's, that's being discussed everywhere is something where we thought that we could do this because we have, we have a simple drug, a simple formulation. Uh, we have, it is benign. It has, a very, it has a very benign side effect profile or adverse effect profile. So it could be something to really prevent something from happening. And this is why we tried whether it would be working. So the trial design is, is all, again, a short trial. We do not wait for them to convert or not to convert because that would take too much time. We look at their oral glucose tolerance. And the, the oral glucose tolerance is affected in pre-diabetics. They have a reduced oral glucose tolerance, which means that their glucose, that their blood glucose goes higher and needs more time to come back down again than in a healthy population. And this can obviously be measured. And what we did is we designed the trial in a way that we treat those, those pre-diabetic patients with our substance. And the surrogate parameter for improvement is our or a glucose tolerance test. And what we hope to see is that after six weeks of treatment with our formulation, the oral glucose tolerance will improve in those pre-diabetics, which would be an indicator that the pre-diabetic situation itself also improves, which would could mean that the progression towards diabetes gets delayed. And that would be prevention right there. Now, one last question Diet sodas, everyone's drinking them. Sugar substitutes, you find them in every sugar bowl in a restaurant. You have regular sugar and right next to it, a number of sugar substitutes. What does that do in this small intestine equation? Is it related there at all? Yeah, so this is a question that's that's a tricky one because, I mean, people, and, and we know this from many friends of ours, are quasi-religious about the fact that they eat this theory or whatever, and I'm trying not to, to mention the brands here, but everyone knows them. So what really happens after ingestion of those, those, uh, those drinks is only a part and not completely understood and controversially discussed. It's very clear that the sweetness that is maintained in those drinks, and which is the primary stimulus, stimulates a digestive reaction in the body. And one of the ideas behind behind the fact why those drinks could be less effective than you would wish for is that this triggers an insulin response. And once insulin is up, you need to get glucose. You, beca- you get you become hungry, and you need to eat something. So what you could what you could achieve with those with those strings is actually an opposite effect that you eat more afterwards. But I would be I would be I try to to be very very careful here because this is truly controversial. What it does in the in the distal small intestine as intestine that we're we're involved with and that we're interested in. There are absolutely no data, so I, I, I can answer you the, your question. What's happening there? I can only tell you that that the effects are are diverse, and uh, many many 
people, and that is why I said it's cross-religious, benefit from those strings, and others see opposite effects. And what, what's left to us as scientists is we try to explain what's happening. And that's all I can I can say to that. The jury is out. The jury is out on yes, that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Dr. Bolt, very exciting. I, I hope you'll come back and see us again. Oh, I would love to. Thank you very much. Dr. Stefan Sebastian Bowles is the chief scientific officer of Afaya Pharma in Zurich, Switzerland. More information is available at Afaya, that's A-P-H-A-I-A, afayapharma.com. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.